gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Alan Moore and you are listening to Gaelic Games Europe's twice-weekly podcast, This Sunday's Game. Welcome to This Sunday's Game. Twice a week, each Sunday and Wednesday, we'll be bringing you the best news, views and interviews from around Europe. Of course, the main focus is on Gaelic games, however, we'll be bringing you the odd, interesting voice too. We throw in today with two terrific guests. We'll be starting with GGE Chairperson Tony Bass and then chat with News Talk FM's Dr. Kira Kelly. So off to Holland we go. And to Maastricht, hiya Tony. Hi Alan. Uh, well, I'm doing fine. It's uh, been a lovely few days weather here, so um, yeah, we're all, we, we've all been out and about, believe it or not. There's no restriction on how far you can travel, although they're encouraging people not, not to travel too far. Uh, but yeah, it's nice better to go for a walk. And uh, apart from walking and painting the event, that's keeping me busy. <laughs> okay, so yeah, okay, you're you're always busy anyway. But um, here in Moscow, for example, we're we're limited to 100 meters from your place of residence. So where you live, 100 meters. Now, of course, today the Moscow Metro had a record number of people for the month of April. So. There you go. Uh, a lot of very important people traveling around the city today. Uh, Tony, because when I spoke with you um, a couple of weeks ago, it was on a Sunday evening and the lockdown began in Holland, I think at 6.45 and at 7, everything had closed. How has it been in Holland during this lockdown period? Yeah, well, this is the one thing I've learned now. Lockdowns means different things in different countries. Um, so here all the restaurants, cafes, cinemas, coffee shops are only allowed to take away now. You can't stay in them. Uh, yeah, and all the sex clubs are closed as well. <laughs> well, actually, the funny thing in, in, in Moscow, they, uh, they allowed um, massage parlors, saunas and beauty salons to stay open if they had a medical certificate. However, um, this past week, because coronavirus cases jumped... No, nothing related, of course, but they jumped. So they basically said, uh, okay, even if you have a medical certificate, you're not going to the massage parlor. Tony, how, how is it now? How are the people feeling uh, in, in Holland at the moment? Are people getting itchy feet or they kind of, they just know that they have to get through this period? Yeah, um, I suppose like everywhere you get a mixture. Um, the Dutch tend to be quite stoic in many ways. Um, they, they'll moan and complain, but they get on with it. Um, you know, it, it, if you're, I mean, I'm able to go down to the DIY store and pick up, you know, bits and pieces. Um, you know, a lot of the shops are still open and things. So there's this, there's some element of, of um, normality. Although what you really notice it in, is in the evenings when you go into town, there's nothing open. There's all the bars are closed, etc. So it's very quiet. But yeah. So it is what you make of it, you know. A big difference to a lot of other major sporting organisations in Europe, and not just professional, but amateur as well. GGE called quite early for tournaments to be postponed very, very early on. Why was that decision taken, Tony? Um, well, the first thing where we were coming from was the duty of care to our members and players. And so, you know, it, it was very obvious that there was, you know, a, a danger in coming together and things like we were beginning to get, like we have PhDs in, in coronavirus evasion now. <laughs> uh, but at, at that time, we were only beginning to learn a few things about it. I suppose once we, once we saw, you know, the fact that it, it was spreading rapidly and the borders were closing, things like that, and, you know, some countries were already closing. Because we have clubs, uh, quite a lot of clubs, obviously in France and Spain and Italy, which were the hardest hit, um, we were very quickly onto it, 
Um, and with players having to travel a lot and make, you know, a, a lot of, sometimes they have hotel or hostel bookings and flights, etc. We felt that we needed to be out ahead of that as well from a cost perspective. And, and just so people know where they stand and they're not thinking this is going to happen or that might happen. And I suppose the, the third angle really was from the host club's perspective. Um, they needed to know to cancel things as soon as possible uh, so as they wouldn't incur bills and things like that. I think everyone likes a bit of certainty. You know, the dip, in Europe, we publish a calendar at the start of the year and we more or less stick with it throughout the year. Although I have no idea what the rest of this season will look like, if there is a this season. Of course, a lot of people are, are trying to come to terms with, um, will there be sport? I mean, just a bit earlier today, I was speaking with the head of the uh, Footballers Union here in Russia and he said that players are itching to do something, but they're actually now indulging their, um, let's just say their charitable side and they're going out and doing good works gge clubs are doing the same thing oh they are yeah i mean many clubs are um you know reaching out uh, fundraising doing whatever i mean a lot of clubs have become a support network within themselves for for their members and so even some friends of people who are in clubs had a meeting there two weeks ago uh, sort of health and welfare officers and other interested parties and you know it was amazing here there was over 40 different ideas and different initiatives that clubs were, were, were taking you know um, and, and they range from stuff looking at mental health, right through to physical fitness, through to, you know, occupy the time things, as I call them, like uh, quizzes, and, um, to actually interacting, you know, creating social interaction through Zoom parties and things like that. Tony, um, we're all, as I hate the word expat, so we're all Irish, but we also have, with a lot of our clubs, say, for example, in France, where there's no Irish involved in Gaelic games, mm-hmm. In Spain, large parts in Galicia and so on, where there's yeah. no Irish involved or very, very little Irish involved. How important then is the GGE and our Gaelic Games in bringing all these diverse nationalities and ethnicities together? Yeah, well, I mean, that's it's one of the things that's amazed me over the uh, what 16 years that I've been involved now in, in European Gaelic Games has been the gradual change from being an Irish centric organization to an organization now which is really very broad-based you know it, we haven't got precise figures on it but i'd say it's about 50 percent non-irish born and i think you know the, the way different it's, it's very interesting uh, one of the things i, I work with is teaching culture and comparing how culturally different people have adapted it's it's quite interesting it's it's quite interesting i mean and you get that within the daily games europe uh, as well because you know you you take the different people in different clubs uh, well, I mean, Irish people are different as well, but when you add in a mix of, you know, 20, 30 other nationalities, it creates a huge variety of thinking, a huge variety of ideas, and a huge variety of togetherness as well. It's not quite the same, I think, if it was an entirely Irish organisation, you'd have a different vibe to it. Um, but I'm, I'm finding this very interesting. Uh, but I think, I, I, you know, at its best, what we're seeing is, you know, the humanity in people. Um, the way they, they, they reach out and they want to be there for each other. Um, and something like this is a great leveler. It shows like who are the people you can rely on, um, who are the people who will be there, you know, come what may. So I think you know it can be very educational for clubs as well to see who who are stepping up now. They mightn't be the ones who you would have thought of, like you know, ah, here, come here, you make a good secretary or whatever. If if it were me, and I, I'm just seeing it in my own club here as well, that you, you see different sides of people that you sometimes don't see or you take for granted or you, you just overlook. Do you think that the perspective changes? Do you think that that's actually going to change now for GGE and for clubs, maybe for the GAA as well, that the perspective will change, that we'll move away from this win-at-all-cost attitude to sort of 
actually there's a little bit more to this than we, we understand. Uh, I, and I think this all depends on how things play out. We still don't know how things are going to evolve. But I suspect if, if we get back going at all this year, it'll probably be within national boundaries and things like that. So we, any, any events we have will be very different. And I think there will be more of a camaraderie there. Isn't it great to get out and play a game rather than win at all costs? It's difficult to see how our, some of our bigger competitions would take place. You know, like the, the Pan-European level side championships and at Coruña now. And they're, they're penciled in for October. We'll have to wait and see. But will people be of a mood to travel by then? We're constantly having to ask ourselves questions. Will people want to travel? Will people be able to travel? Will you be able to bring groups together? I mean, you know, in some countries, you, know, you can have uh, groups of up to 50 people, I think, still in Sweden. Whereas other countries, it's 10 and 5 and 2 and, and whatever. Now, I think these things will ease. It's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not a, you know, a public health specialist, so I have no idea. But the one thing I know is that the Gaelic Games organization itself, you know, the GEA, Gaelic Games Europe here, we have a great capacity to evolve and to meet the challenges. Um, so I don't fear that, that I mean, in one way, it, you know, I always like to try to look for the opportunity. It might be a good way of thinking outside the box. You know, some of our structures have been broadly the same for, for quite some time. Uh, they've evolved a little bit here and there. But this might call, you know, give us need for a radical rethink of how we look at things. And, uh, you know, that's fine with me. It's a, it's a blank page as far as I'm concerned, and any good ideas are worth debating. Now, I mean, of course, Gigi has always been you know, quite forward in a lot of things that have been done, uh, including the, the well, proposed, or the, the, the planned, I should not proposed, the planned European Super League for Gaelic football. Mm-hmm. Do you think that maybe this fact that we've almost got this little bit of a gap, that this could actually help the development of this? Because then clubs will say, do you know what? We want to do this. This this actually makes sense because it'll bring together nations rather than clubs. Yeah, I mean, uh, as I was saying, Alan, you know, I think for some people it'll be great. Uh, other people will want to go back to the tried and tested. You're always going to get a mix of views. Um, I'm I'm just even seeing it within the committee. I can see some people thinking about, you know, let's forget about things for the year. You know, if that happens, it's a bonus. Whereas others are sort of saying, well, have we a plan in case we get back now in June or July? Um, and the difficulty always is that everyone thinks that they have, you know, the, the common sense way of thinking. Um, my job as chairman is to allow everyone to have their say and to probably come up with some sort of a compromise at the end of it. <laughs> Tony, we, we've got a, a couple more minutes before we wrap up, but I wanted to, to ask you... Um, in terms of what, what has impressed you, okay, you've said about that there's you know, very good initiatives and so on being taken. We've seen the, the French championship that's online, the Spanish one that's yeah. online, for example. What has impressed you outside of the general humanity of a lot of people that we're seeing for the, not for the first time, we're seeing really clear? Um, what has impressed you, first of all? And second of all, um, what would be your hope in terms of what, what could be the best result in terms of for this season? What's impressed me, uh, what's impressed me is, is that people immediately almost used the, the GA club in the same way that we would used to be in Ireland as part of a community, as a, as a backbone in the community. And I think that's happening for, for people who are involved in GA clubs around Europe. As I said, it, it's different. It depends on if it's mostly locals, if it's Irish or if it's mixed. Uh, and I can see that in the, in the types of initiatives uh, that have been taken. What's impressed me has been the um, people have been innovative. Um, they've reached out. They haven't. In some case, a lot of people haven't waited to be asked, uh, and I think that's great because a lot of the time, when you're working in a voluntary-based organisation, um, you know, you're trying to find people to do things. 
but I think that's been the revealing thing. This, it either brings out, you know, it, I think these things tend to bring out the best or the worst in people. And for the most part, we've seen the best, uh, which is great. Um, I haven't seen really that many worst. Uh, but <laughs> mind you, locked up for a lot longer, that might start happening as well. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, that's they're the things that impress me. How do I see things going? I have no idea, but I think we will probably be looking at you know, smaller groups coming together in more multiple locations, probably no more than two, three clubs, maybe at a time, things like that. It's 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 hard to know. the The whole question of you know, will it be you know an, an idea now to look at things like the Super League and all? That's probably actually you know something that can be done now in a vacuum, um, and that's always easier to discuss stuff in a vacuum because there's nothing for it to com- to compete with. I've been of the view for some years now that you know our, our competitions used to be pan-European, everything. Um, you know when I first came, and the regions have been growing, getting stronger. They do vary, and um, they do. You know every region has its own issues, uh, its own challenges, uh, but its own strengths as well. You know, and then you know you you have the, the likes of France, Spain, Germany, where you've a critical mass, if you like, of clubs, so they can do stuff within national boundaries. But we have to remember there's there's a lot of our clubs. You know, that might be the only club in the country. You know, if, whether it's the Croatian Celts or, or the Slovak Shamrocks or, or whoever, you know, they, they'd be the only club in their country. So we, we have to try and see what we can do for them. Okay. Uh, now, you've, you've brought something that I will ask you about before I sort of we, we finish off. Regionalization. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I suppose the easiest way to describe it is that it, it's about, you know, trying to devolve decision making and planning and things to the, to the level that's appropriate. So, you know, if, if you're 20 odd clubs in France, it makes total sense that the, the French Federation should be the ones doing the thinking, you know, being, being on the front line and, and sorting things out for themselves. There's not much need for GGE to get involved other than to, to be a support organisation. It's different, say, maybe in the Nordics, which isn't quite as advanced. You know, but the, the idea is that we will move towards regions. If, you, if, if you're Irish, you put in the context of, uh, at the moment, in GA terms, Europe is a county. But I, I would see Europe more like a province, with each country eventually becoming a county, and and, and GG being more like a provincial council. Uh, that, that's going to take some time. Um, but you know, if if we do get back on track, one of the things coming down the road is uh, under the World GA banner um, in Crow Park, much more flexibility for international units to mould themselves into what themselves into straight jacket of a, of, a, of a structure. So the regionalisation will, will feed to that. Basically, I suppose it's about devolving and delegating and supporting and Tony just before I just said a little bit on that um, with Larry McCarthy uh, becoming the next uh, GA president will that assist um, with the international development of the GA and just especially Europe is that a good thing for Europe yeah um, you know uh, Larry obviously has that international experience um, he's not a stranger to us in Europe he's been to a few of our conventions and he gets what we're doing here um, and that's always a help in the president, you know, when the president understands what, what you know, the, the complexities and the different challenges that each unit faces. I mean, I would have said, yeah, we would have seen more action in terms of international units, you know, maturing, developing, and giving more responsibility, more funding, more support. However, the current situation has thrown that all up in the air and we've no idea how it's going to fall down again. Like me, on the financial side, there is going to be a big impact. Uh, because if the money's not coming in in Ireland, the money's not there to support international development as well. This, that's, a, again, something we're going to have to look at. It's going to be another what would you like uh, to say to our 
Gales of all different nationalities across the continent and further afield. What do you want to tell them at this time uh, of difficulty that they should just stick with and remember and to give them yeah. the solace at this dark time? Well, the, I suppose the first thing, you know, it, it sounds very hackneyed now, but stay safe. Look after yourself. Look after those around you. You've been doing a great job in being there for each other. Continue to do that. And even when it gets more frustrating and more irritating, that's all the more time to reach out. Um, you know, have a look in your phone book. Is there someone you haven't spoken to there for you know, a year or two, but you used to talk to a lot more? Give them a call. Um, things like that. There will be games. The games will come back. Uh, when we have a chance, we'll start playing our games. But in the meantime, let's stay safe and look after each other. And from Maastricht, we go over to Dublin and find out just how to beat coronavirus and survive the lockdown. Dr. Kerry Kelly is host of News Talk FM's Lunchtime Live show, which airs weekdays from 12 to 2 p.m. Irish time. Last month, she contracted coronavirus and had a double whammy when her 17-year-old was diagnosed with it too. So just how was it? How did they deal with it? Has contracting COVID changed her perspective on life? And just what recommendations does Dr. Kelly have for getting through this virus and the lockdown? Dr. Kiri Kelly. Dr. Kiri Kelly from News Talk in Ireland. Very welcome to the GGE podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You've gone through coronavirus. Um, first of all, how did you catch it or how do you know you, how you got it? And how was it going through and how did you survive it? Well, I'm definitely still here to tell the tale, so I, I absolutely survived it. I developed symptoms of COVID-19 on March 14th, and I was tested a couple of days later and got a result a couple of days after that, and, and I had it. We're not entirely certain where I got it. My daughter was sick as well with it, so, so it could be that she gave it to me, but equally, maybe I gave it to her. We don't, we don't really know. Um, and I was at a couple of events prior I, I got in the very early stages of it spreading here in Ireland and I, I was at the weekend before I got sick I was at a couple of things that I heard subsequently that other people who were at them became cases as well so presumably maybe there but um, we've never known who, who was the contact that I was in contact with so despite quite significant contact tracing here in Ireland I don't really know where I got it, but, but, I, but I certainly had it. And how did I get through it? It was two weeks, really, of symptoms. Um, they started, I was sick the first weekend, and I became quite unwell, and then they kind of plateaued. And then the second weekend, a little bit like Boris Johnson, around day seven to ten, people often go dip. And I dipped a little bit too, got a little bit of a, a, a secondary kind of chest infection or a pneumonia on top of it, had to go on antibiotics at that stage kind of went on from there and then by by about day 10 I was starting to get a little bit better um and I would say by by day 14 two weeks in I was back able to go for a walk now I I was still for a period of time after that very tired much more so than I would ever normally be and I, I I'm usually pretty fit and usually pretty healthy and I don't tend to get sick at all so it was it was weird and I and I was very short of breath for a good while afterwards I'm still occasionally short of breath now and that would be a month since the symptoms started. My experience of it, which would be the same as the kind of the 80%, that the 80% get the mild to moderate version of it. And then obviously, unfortunately, 20% of people get much sicker. Um, my, my version of it was, it was like a very nasty flu. I wasn't one of the asymptomatic people that didn't get sick at all and didn't know they had it and didn't notice it. I knew I was sick the minute I got sick. Um, 
I had chest pain. I had chest tightness. I had difficulty breathing. I was coughing. I didn't have a fever. The breathing end of things went funny on me and I kind of guessed, you know, we were in the middle of a, of a, of a spreading pandemic and I had these symptoms. So, so I had a fair idea quite quickly. I might, as I say, the 80%, it was mild to moderate. It was like for me, a very nasty flu where I felt unwell and weak and tired and sick and chesty. Uh, and, and I have a touch of asthma. So it was a bit like my asthma had flared up because I was short of breath. It, was, it wasn't quite like either of those things. It was, it was a different set of symptoms to what I'd had before ever on anything because I had quite a lot of burning in my chest. I had a lot of burning behind my, my face and my nasopharynx and then burning down my throat and burning down into my lungs. That was a very unpleasant symptom. Um, and when I talk to other people who've had COVID, they, a lot of people have that burning sensation. It's, it's very unpleasant. And you lose your appetite and you lose your sense of smell and you lose your sense of taste. And you're just very tired. But then it passes. And like any other horrible dose, you, you get better. And, uh, you know, luckily I was in that category of people got better and out the other side now. Now that you're through the other side, you, you, it, I mean, it's an awful shock to get hit like that, especially when you're not used to being sick. Um, how did you yourself manage to get through it? Because you've come through it like physically and mentally very, very well. That's a very, very good question. I'll be very honest with you. When I first realized I was getting it, well, I, you know, I, I had an idea. I obviously didn't have the test results back, but I wasn't well and my chest was weird. There was a feeling of fear because I, I, I'm a doctor, but I, I've never seen a COVID patient because at that stage, when I got it, we, we allegedly, and I, and I would be uncertain about those figures, accuracy, to be honest, but we allegedly had about 50 or 60 cases in the whole country out of 5 million people. So I didn't know anybody who had it. I didn't, uh, I, I, I'd never seen anyone go through it as a, as a medic. So, so I didn't know the exact way the course was going to go. And you've heard so much scary statistics around it, around death rates. And we'd all seen Italy. We'd seen China, but particularly we'd seen Italy and then subsequently Spain and now the UK. We'd seen countries lose control of the infection rates and we'd seen what that has meant for people who were sick with it and for the hospital systems and all of that i definitely had a degree of fear and, and when i was having the, the the sensation in the beginning the pain in my chest and the burning and the, the difficulty breathing i was lying in my bed upstairs here in my house and i lay there and i went if this gets worse I'm going to struggle to breathe. And then obviously I'm probably going to have to call an ambulance. And I was thinking along those lines and I was thinking, you know, statistically, if you're young and fit and healthy and you're not overweight and you're not a smoker and you have no underlying health issues and all that, you're, you're much more likely to do okay. But equally, there's always the anomaly. And, and, and I, 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 I didn't know what was going to happen. And I had a degree of fear. And certainly for the first 48 hours, I was a little bit afraid. And my daughter was very sick as well. And I was very worried about her and she was, really struggling with her breathing and it was kind of horrible and I was thinking do I need to send her to hospital or don't I need to send her to hospital and bear in mind because of infection control she's 17 I was going to have to send her to hospital by herself in an ambulance and I wasn't going to be able to go with her or visit her so we're basically going to be sending a very sick 17 year old off on her own and saying good luck we'll talk to you on this like and I knew that would be very frightening for her so I I was saying no I'll keep her at home and try and manage her even though I was sick and 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 then I was going, am I making the right decision here? Am I making the wrong decision here? And, and so I was distressing enough the first 48 hours, but then the burning started to ease a little bit and the pain started to ease a little bit. And then I said to myself, okay, some symptoms are passing. This is good. This is a good sign. And, and sort of more or less 
pull yourself together kind of thing. Um, and I did. And I, and I kind of got back focused on let's, let's not lose, let's not really lose the run of ourselves here. Like I, I kind of made, I was determined to become less afraid. And I, as a consequence, I kind of became less afraid. There was a bit of though getting a grip on myself. Do you, do you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I, did, I was nervous in the beginning. And as I said, I, didn't, I hadn't seen anybody else go through it. And then from then on, I was just sick and tired. I was, you know, literally sick and tired. The second weekend, I got a bit sicker again. I went downhill and that was a bit depressing, truthfully, because I'd already been in bed and lockdown for the guts of a week. And now I wasn't getting better. I was getting worse. And you're kind of going, this is, this is, this is shit really. It was, was really very unpleasant, right? So it wasn't a very nice thing to go through. Um, but then as I came out the other side of it, of that as well, I kind of went, okay, now I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the road. I'm, I'm only moving in one direction. I had a good friend who, who was also a doctor who was about three or four days ahead of me. He'd been, he'd been abroad traveling and had come home and had, had contracted it. He had been contacted by, by the Department of Health said that he had been on a flight with a known case and he was sitting near them and sure enough he got it and he was very good he was messaging me quite regularly and ringing me and we were sitting in our respective beds and him telling me how he was three days ahead of me and that was the roadmap I used you got through it I I, I watched bits of telly I slept a lot I, I didn't read books or learn a language or bake or do any of the edifying things I was supposed to do I didn't really feel I had the energy to do anything to to be honest. But as I kind of got better, I'm actually in very good form now. And um, I'm, I'm a bit sick of lockdown. I'm a bit sick of going nowhere and seeing no one the same as everybody else. So that's not great. But I think I do have a sense I have gotten over it, which means good things, really. Um, and, and that's that's kind of life affirming and, and, and a positive. And, I, and I'm kind of view, I'm choosing to view it all as a positive, because I think if you frame things as a positive, it's better, to be fair. Um, you know you have to look at it that way because especially when that kind of bit of fear as you said the anomaly it's something that i heard back from someone who had it in germany and again same as yourself she's you know young woman that like you know she's early 40s and she she basically said that when she got it the immediate fear was i could die because and she said to me she said alan remember uh or you, you know every time you get on a plane you start to think this could be the one time this, like, you know, Aer Lingus flight's going to go down or whatever that. Yeah. Plants are so slim, but this is what's going to happen. But she said, what you do is you control this fear and you control it and you just say, right. And as you mentioned, you get through it step by step by step. And yeah. Look ahead. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you take, you take heart from the little winds that, well, you know, my chest pain is not so bad today or my breathing, I think my breathing could be slightly better. And, Oh, I'm not burning. And, and like things like I noticed the first couple of days I could hardly eat. And I, I love food and I could hardly eat. I was literally kind of tea and toast, you know, that kind of way and not much either of that. And then I remember, and there was nice dinners here because we're all at home. So people are like, we're all cooking and, the, and there's loads of food. We've no shortage of food. So that's not an issue. For me. There was days went by and I couldn't really eat. And then there was one day I was sitting down having dinner and I realized I was hungry and I hadn't been hungry in about five days maybe longer. And I was just like, wow, I want to eat. And I was, <laughs> I hate loads actually. But that's a really good sign. I'm turning a corner when I want to eat again. If I'm getting my appetite back, then I'm, you know, because I was kind of worried weight was falling off. And I think I lost about three kilos in a week. Yeah. Um, I put it all back on and that's fine. But I, because I didn't actually didn't particularly want to lose any weight. I wasn't trying, wasn't, you know, a lot of people go, Hey, I was like, Oh crap. I don't know what, I don't want to get sick and get, because if you have no reserves, if you get, 
if you're too, and I'm not that I'm too thin, but I'm a normal weight anyway. And I didn't really want to kind of get thinner during an illness. I thought it was probably a bad thing. Yeah, I, I, I got my appetite back and I went, okay, that, that's, you're turning corners. Take note of the corners you're turning and um, take heart from all of that. And that, I tried to kind of focus on the little wins. That's again. That's something that you know, to, to round up our, our chat today is to um, try to get through to people because a lot of people across, like you know, we we have our clubs. We've over, well, almost hundred clubs. I think it's at twenty two countries across Europe, from Russia all the way down to to Portugal and Italy and so on. And a lot of our players and coaches and supporters, they haven't been outside to do anything for a long, long time. And they're, they're, they, of course, are getting itchy feet because we're meant to have all our tournaments. We're meant to be traveling. Really hard. We're lost. What advice would you give? Okay, for, what about staying home? What about what? What would be your tips if you could give, say, three, four tips to people who are staying home right now to keep mentally and physically in shape? Because we mentioned, like, mentally and physically, there has to be that kind of balance. You know, your one hundred days of walking was excellent because, again, it's walking, it's enjoyment, it's pleasure to take in the sights around you. So. People can't walk now. Uh, it's very different to go out and walk any kind of distance. So what would you tell people? What advice would you give, Kira, to, to so people would... I, I really do believe, and, and it's not just some kind of personal belief, we know this, that exercise not only is good for our physical uh, uh, health, but it is hugely good for our mental health. We know for a fact from studies that you know, moderate amounts of exercise are as beneficial to our mood, for example, as, as antidepressants. So, so if you are be a severe depression but with a mild to moderate depression exercise will be as effective as pills in treating you so we're all under different regimes of lockdown in Ireland we're still allowed out for half an hour to walk but we have to stay close to home because they don't want people congregating in beauty spots so you have to be within two kilometers of your own home wherever that may be and we're still allowed to do it so I still go out for a daily walk and if I didn't I honestly would struggle but I know in other countries it's not the same and if you're living in an apartment which lots of people are so you don't have a back garden or a, or a bit of land yourself. That's extre- extremely difficult. I would suggest that you should probably try and cobble together some kind of a regime at home. Not everyone obviously has a home gym, but there are things you can do. And I'm, and I'm sure it's the same throughout Europe. Like here, what you could do is we have those big milk cartons that hold two or three liters of milk. If you fill those with water and you use them, their weights. So that's a good thing. And resistance training, particularly if you're not getting any degree of, of, of aerobic exercise going out, you get muscle wastage. So resistance training is important. Um, you can do resistance training like planks and you can do resistance like bridges and you can do, you know, you can do weights and you can, you know, you can put stuff on, you know, you can tie tin cans to your ankles and do leg weights and quads and all of that. And you know what? It passes the bloody time as well, because it's really difficult to fill a day when you can't go out. Like we're doing stir crazy things here half the time. You know, we're finding our, I don't even want to tell you the kind of lunatic things we've been doing at times to kind of pass an evening dressing up and doing mad things. But if you are- It's just a completely different topic there to go into, but I'll, I'll let it pass. <laughs> probably as well. We're not talking about cosplay. I'm just talking about no, it, putting on funny clothes and kind of, you know, just, it's very long. The day is long when you don't see anybody other than your family. And let's be honest, nobody was designed to spend this much time with their families. Or, But indeed, there must be people around Europe, particularly maybe um, expats, young people who've traveled for work, who are living alone or living with a roommate or a flatmate. So they don't even have their own family. They have other people in their house or no one at all. Um, I do think that the sense of 
connectivity is really good. I have found myself, I am not particularly, dare I say it, despite being Irish, a late, late watcher. But I found myself watching the late, late show for that sense of connection to the group. Do you know what I mean? That feeling of connectivity is important. So I would suggest do your Zoom calls and your your WhatsApp calls or whatever, house party or whatever, because those things are good. And actually, I've been talking to people in that manner that I might not have even been talking to if we weren't under lockdown. So, so you're kind of staying connected is important. Getting some degree of physical exercise is important. Um, and, and you may have to make it up if you can walk up and down the stairs of your building, if you can walk up and down your stairs of your house. Do stuff that actually, you know, at least for 30 or 40 minutes a day, try and challenge yourself. And if you're lucky enough to still be allowed back outside, great, because fresh air and green exercise is better. Um, try and get up and go to bed around the same time every day. It doesn't matter if the, particularly young people's body clocks tend to be further forward than older people. So it doesn't matter if you want to get up at 11 and go to bed at one, but, but just do it every day, you know what I mean? Do that kind of thing. Um, some people journal things so that if you're mentally struggling, write down what's bothering you read it back to yourself see if you can make sense of it but equally write down the good things the, the, as I said the little wins did you have a shower today do you know what I mean there's there's days that are better than others do stuff that's good for you as well as in that makes you feel happy and that'll be different for different people for some people it is watching back old episodes of some tv show they like or, or old movies or um for other people it's reading a good book and, and there's so much available online that you you can dip into so so like you might be able to go to the shops, but there's no end of ebooks and, and for your for your doesn't even have to be for your Kindle for your smartphone. You just get the Kindle app, Netflix or your Netflix equivalent or whatever it is that you you like to watch. I I downloaded at the start this Google Play because I had watched an awful lot of the stuff on Netflix I I already wanted to see. And the joy of Google Play is if you're willing to spend two ninety nine or whatever, you can watch anything you want. So you can literally go. Do you know what I missed when it was in the cinema a month or two ago? It doesn't even have to be very long. They're all up to date. Uh, I missed that. I, I, I'd like to see that. And you can sit and watch anything you want. Um, and that is good. And just try and eat. Uh, be kind to yourself. Like you're not in boot camp. I would also say just be a little bit kind at the moment. But also just a tiny bit. And I see this for myself and all my friends and everyone I know. Try and go a little bit easy on the booze. Because it is very easy when you're not in that routine of getting up at seven and commuting to work and the long day and the coming home and that routine is gone and you can get up later and you have no commute anywhere and even if you're working drinking every day or that kind of thing it does tend to bring us down in ourselves even though we do it to kind of hopefully soothe ourselves that's why we do it. oh I'll soothe myself with this but actually the knock-on effect over the next few days is usually it lowers your mood and, and then just keep focused on the fact that this is not forever and it really isn't forever because they know this they know that lockdown cannot exist forever because with putting our economies back on the road it's not as black and white as that there is a tipping point when 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 that we are in kind of mothballs for for long enough there's a very negative effect on the mental health of people other health problems get missed as well cancer patients heart patients stroke patients all of that stuff so so they know that there's a detrimental effect from us doing this and so therefore they know that they can't do it forever or as many people will be harmed by it as will be sort of saved by it so maybe um so this isn't forever and and i do think we need to remain hopeful i think hope is really important to the human spirit and the human psyche one of the the categorizing feelings of being depressed is hopelessness that you feel despair about the future and you feel hopeless if you have hope it's very protective of your mood and i think that having hope and remembering that we will come out the other side of this 
and yeah, we will have lost stuff by going into this, but in weird other ways, we may have gained stuff. There is prioritizing what's important to us and all of those things. So I think remain hopeful is, is a really good message. And I, I also think one of the great tonics for the soul and the Irish in particular are great at this is laughing. Like, I'll tell you the truth. I don't know if I've said this before publicly, but my daughter had it too. And so she ended up, we kind of ended up sharing a bed. We don't normally share a bed, but yeah. So we were lying in, in my double bed, the two of us, and we would look at each other and we would say, we'll probably be dead in a week or two. And then we would crack up laughing. Now, now that's such an Irish thing, I think. I really do. Now, we didn't really think we were going to be dead, but we, and then she would say to me, you're such a warrior, right? And we would literally, piss ourselves laughing because like I, I was getting like people knew I had and I was getting lovely messages and people were saying very kind things and she was absolutely ripping me asunder for it as a laugh and we would we would it was that gallows humor we were both very sick we were coughing we were wearing masks we were in bed we couldn't get up we couldn't eat and we'd say these awful things and then laugh and laugh and laugh and laugh and those little moments to be honest were part of getting us through you know so I think laughter is a tonic if you can keep your sense of humor throughout it all um even if you have a hopefully better sense of humor and slightly less dark sense of humor than me um I think that's a good thing to be honest the Irish are great crack and, and and we laugh even in the face of adversity and we always did and god knows we've had nothing but adversity we've had famines and p poverty and, and <laughs> you know tenement life and we we, we we never get a break we just never get a break it's one thing after another. We had the Celtic Tiger briefly. We thought we were, we thought we'd arrived, and of course that disappeared almost instantly as well. And um, so we're kind of used to it, and it has made us resilient actually. And it has given us a very particular sense of humour, which I like. But we we laughed a lot. The laughing in the face of adversity is uplifting. Well, first of all, thank you so much again for joining us on our on our inaugural podcast. For you, just uh, from what you've gone through. What has changed for you? I mean, what, what would you now look at differently? That's a really good question. And I don't think I've quite decided, but I have little doubt I'll be affected by it in some way. Some of what I suppose is percolating in the back of my mind, though, is about doing and getting to do the things that I maybe had long fingered. Do you know, do you know what I mean? Doing the things collectively and even individually we're looking at our own mortality now that's a very serious way of looking well, it's, at it's, it's honest it's very direct yeah to some right. extent we're facing that and, and what it has made me do as somebody it's made me think well what do you really want what do you really want to do because it's very easy in life to just drift along and do whatever it is you're doing because you do that and it's just a regular routine thing we're in the routine you're in the wouldn't want to say rush because i actually have a nice life but but you're in a kind of a routine but now i am thinking and it was funny, I was talking to a friend last night and, and, and I, I, I've talked to a lot of friends, you know, obviously digitally about, you know, where do we all go from here and stuff. And, and it suddenly struck me that maybe I, I've always thought I, I would work till I was old and maybe I will a bit, you know, as in, I, I thought I'd go beyond retirement age because I really do enjoy medicine and I enjoy kind of the media and, and, and journalism and all those things. And both of those are things you can kind of continue fairly long term. But now I'm kind of going, maybe what I actually need to do is, is other things. Maybe I, I need to, yeah, maybe keep my hand in a little bit when I'm older because I think it would be good for your head. But maybe I will write that book or, or go traveling or do the things that I used to say I would do and that I kind of forgot about because I, I do think if we learn anything from all of this is, is that one, life is short and two is you don't know what's around the corner, good or bad. There could be not so good things around the corner. And the 100 days of walking was very interesting because 
day, day 100 was last Thursday and I, it was day 100 of 100 days of walking, but it started on January 1st. So it was actually day 100 of 2020. And what a difference those 100 days made. When we went into 100 days of walking, we were normal. Life was normal. And I had no concept, none. I hadn't even heard on the 1st of January of COVID-19. I, I didn't hear about it for another three weeks. I don't think I had even heard mention of it. Um, and so we, I had no concept that my life could change. And, and, uh, and, and life is change. And that's the truth of it. So I think if we've learned anything from this is, is it's short, it can change. So make it count. Okay, well, there you go. So daily from 12 to 2, that of course, that is 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock across Europe. So Dr. Kierkegaard, thank you so, so much for your time today and uh, continued health and success. Thank you. Thanks so much. The final whistle has gone on episode one of this Sunday's game. Our thanks to Tony Bass and Dr. Kiri Kelly. I'm Alan Moore. I'll talk to you on Wednesday. Until then, look after each other and remember, lessen the stress.